The advanced insights assessment, which we've been talking around in a sense, is really an operations manual for you. Yeah. Where do you need, if you're a machine, where do you need to put the oil or the petrol? Yes. You've got a great vehicle. Are you, have you got a good roadmap? Are you putting enough fuel in the right place? Are you yep. lubricating Did, the gear? Are your tyres okay? As, yeah. 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 Um, and I think, Adrian, that's the thing that I love about this. When people get that. Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. My guest on Talk Design today is Russ Wiley. Russ is a really interesting guy. He has a business which is called People and Business Insights. He has a huge background in business, which I'll get him to tell you about. But ultimately, he's a master coach. And in being a master coach, he can unravel the unseen um, very, very, very effectively and help people get to where they want to go in life. So, Russ, welcome to Talk Design. I will get you to give some runway on your background. Um, It's a real pleasure to have you here. And having had you work with me as well, uh, I have some fascinating insights of my own to share. No worries. Thank you for uh, having me here today. And I hope I can offer some uh, wonderful ideas for um, you, the listener, as well as you, Adrian. So um, happy to be involved. I'm looking forward to it, man. Um, So I'll I'll ask Russ this question about, you know, tell us a bit about your background. But just quickly, first of all, um, I had a, a debriefing session with Russ after doing a in a metrics profile um, two weeks ago, somewhere around there. Yeah. And um, the insights that uh, I, I live with a business coach who that's how I know Russ. Um, I live with a business coach as well, my wife, and she has plenty of coaching tips for me along the way, as most guys can imagine. Um, <laughs> but the, <laughs> the, the, ability to see things were unemotionally because they were coming from someone who I wasn't emotionally attached to and to get uh, traction on things really quickly um, is just fascinating. So first of all, thank you so much for that, Russ. Um, tell us about your journey to Inometrics and to People and Business Insights. Where did it all start and why all is right. it so important? A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away... <laughs> Uh, I was escaping from a guy with heavy breathing. Um, where it started for me was, um, and thank you, for, by the way, for being kind enough to call me a master coach. I don't think I'm as skilled as um, your partner and wife, Rebecca. She's a fantastic coach. Well, she's put um, up with me for longer than you have. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's got more skills than that. People ask me, are you a coach? I go, no, I'm I'm not skillful enough to be a coach, but I'm opinionated enough to be a really good mentor. Uh, (laughs) And I've gained those opinions from, you know, stuffing things up and then getting them right. But um, in a previous life, I'd I'd run my own businesses. I was fortunate enough to, um, when I left school, to tour around the countryside of Australia working for a company called Elders GM, who were stock and station agents and supplied oil and all this type of stuff. 
And one of the very first places they sent me to was Broken Hill Mining Community. And I had to handle the distributorship for Castrol Oils up there. And periodically they would ask me to leave Broken Hill because I um, wasn't a part of the union. It was a very unionised place and every year people would clash over the union. So it was this thing called Badge Day. And Badge Day was when you had to wear your union badge and our company Uh didn't uh, subscribe to that. Um, But people were conflicted. And straight away I was always someone who would try to get rid of conflict and get on with what we were getting on with. And I noticed huge differences in people, particularly under stress, Adrian. And um, I get upset over the most minor things. They'd be mates, you know, having a drink all year. And then for three days of the year, they'd be having a go at each other over union rules or politics and whatever. And that intrigued me a little bit. I thought, oh, that's very unusual. Why do they behave that way? And sort of that started in the back of my mind. What What's making these people change? What's making them fight with each other? And how do we resolve it? And elders sent me to various places around New South Wales, Victoria, uh, South Australia, and each of them had a variation of that. One place I went to was Jamestown in South Australia, and it was very heavily split between uh, very strong Protestant Lutherans and very strong Roman Catholics. And again, we'd be all mates. Um, We'd uh, play footy together. And then afterwards, after people had been lubricated a little bit with some good drinking, those differences would come out again. And it it, it sort of kick-started it a bit further. I'd taken that role because I'd been accepted into a very unusual university program sponsored by the Premier of South Australia, Don Dunstan, who I later got to work with. Um, And he'd set up this course and it was so big. It was in psychology, neuroscience, medical aspects of social work, um, political economy. You know, it was just an incredible course. And that was exploring the differences in people. And that gave me further insights and some great knowledge But I was a little working-class capitalist, so while I was at uni, I bought a business because mum said, came up with a single mum, she said, you're going to have to pay your own way through university. So at night, I ran a business. And uh, And this was pre-internet. Yep, pre-internet. I was a milkman delivering milk to the richest suburbs in Adelaide, and I had to collect money. You know, uh, I had one that was all on account with the richest people in South Australia and they didn't want to pay. And I used to have to knock on the door and talk through with their wives or husbands or whomever, look, you need to give me some money for the milk. Uh, And again, I noticed how people behaved, communicated and responded uh, under stress or whether they were dismissive of you. I kept thinking, you know, and I learned different ways to deal with uh, those people whilst I was studying at a university. And uh, I had to buy a second milk round, which was a cash-only milk round, to make sure to, I had enough To cash pay for load. the one and the rich yeah, of it. <laughs> that's right. And, and the rich people were really funny because you'd give them a bill and then you'd, they wouldn't pay it and you'd put account rendered and you'd double the amount. They'd pay you double or triple. They wouldn't even look at it. They'd go, oh, that was the bill last month. And you go, no, you've paid me too much. 
and you try to give them their money back and they go, oh, no, don't worry about that. And as a consequence of that milk round, I discovered that I started to think differently about the customer and uh, I, in fact, diversified. So I tried to deliver other things like eggs and honey and whatever else. That was disastrous. Um, yeah, which that should have been easy. That should have been just easy as a bolt-on, really. Oh, but I yeah, know but... many milkmen tried to do it and it didn't work. Yeah. Bread was one that they really tried. Yeah, uh, we had a bread man. And yeah. one night I caught up with the guy who was delivering the papers, the newspapers early morning, and the guy who was delivering bread because we were observing one of our clients swinging through the trees in his and uh, next door's yard in a loincloth yelling out Tarzan-like sounds. And I kept thinking, gee, people are weird, aren't they? And I've got more and more more fascinated. Look from my tree. (laughs) Yeah. So I kept thinking, oh, I better understand people. What makes somebody want to get up in the middle of the night and do that? Um, His wife. Or <laughs> the neighbour's wife, one or the other. Yeah, yeah prob- probably. <laughs> probably both. Um, <laughs> we'll get with, to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, there were very, I can tell you some stories there, but perhaps not for the podcast. Um, <laughs> so all of this time I'm being fascinated by people. I'm, I'm working a business. I'm working in the uh, Adelaide Festival Centre at night, you know, as a, a barman and then a sort of maitre d' to... Um, cabaret shows, et cetera, and you're dealing with lots of different people. And so that really stimulated me to think about this. So I paid extra attention when I went to university when we studied the behaviourists and the humanistic psychologists, and I uh, studied and worked with some people who had worked with uh, Carl Rogers, one of the great psychologists, and he believed that the answer to most of your issues is within you. So how do you get it out? How do you get people to recognise that? And I'd looked at very early personality profiling or assessments. Nah, it didn't quite cut it. Um, and I was working away in business and then I worked, ended up working in the media and for the ABC as an announcer and journalist uh, in South Australia and the Northern Territory and other places. And that's a different form of communication and influencing people and when I was interviewing people on radio and TV or just broadcasting, I noticed that they responded in different ways. Isn't and I, I, thought, always, I always think the same thing. Yeah. It's it, interesting. It's, yeah, there's, there's the chat you have before and then there's, there's a game face hmm. when you're going to record. And um, it's really fun to try and keep it in the chat before mode. But yeah. some people just switch on and other people just glide in and other people it, you yeah as a person who interviews people there's a there's a there's a real morphing of how you bring it out um and each personality is so different so absolutely different. and yeah. people who would abuse you for the most benign comments I, I remember when the pope was shot and we'd come out of a song by the eagles called i can't tell you why and i said Amazing news, I can't tell you why. And somebody complained from Port Lincoln in South Australia and they were rabidly anti uh, the Pope, obviously, and said, how can you make these comments? We'd prefer he died. And I'm thinking, wow, people respond to benign conversation or supportive conversation, sometimes in the most extreme ways. All because of what's going on in their head. Oh, yes. 
Yeah, and I kept thinking, oh, what's going on? And then I had this most gorgeous woman um, send me photos of herself and bottles of cognac and had to report them all to the boss. And somehow she found some fascination in my voice or whatever else. Has to be my voice because I don't think it was my yeah. face. Yeah, the face uh, for radio. Yeah, face <laughs> for radio, yep. Uh, and, and, again, that just intrigued me. So um, I came out of that still running businesses and sort of I had this aspect of what's going on in a business person's mind, what's going on in a customer's mind, what's going on in somebody else's mind. And I worked in um, uh, sales of financial services and worked with members sure. of the House and members of the Australian Parliament, and they behaved very differently as well, a little mm-hmm. ticking on, still going on in the back mm-hmm. of the mind. And then I started to um, manage um, salespeople, and I yep. wanted professional salespeople, not, you know, hyper, overdrive, trying to super close you. And the company I was with got me into a project to develop and keep high-level, highly professional, very consultative salespeople. And as part of that, we started to do assessments of people, the old 16 PF, 16 personality factors, a thing called the Pat Bull test because Pat Bull was a psychologist in Queensland. He designed something. Yeah, right. And we went through different stuff. With the objective of firstly getting the right people and then later on keeping the wrong people out. And I found that assessments were were very good for giving you some idea whether this individual that you might be dealing with and bringing on board would succeed or fail. And firstly, that was from the company's point of view. You know, we don't want people who, you know, don't fit what's needed. Of course, of course. Because the role... um, a cultural fit and also a role fit. And, yeah, you know, I always think of a, a guy that was my, he was the um, group managing director of the LWR group. And I remember him sitting down one day and saying to me about one of the CEOs of, uh, sorry, not one of the CEOs, one of the general managers of one of the companies. He said, well, he came from sales and not many sales guys actually can get to general management. And I was looked at him and was like, why is that? And he's like, because they stay on the sales side of it instead of coming to the company side of it. (coughs) Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, it was fascinating. And I'm like, tell me more. And he said, well, they change sides. When they're a salesperson, they work for the customer and you're the product. And when they work for the company, they work for the, when they shift, they work for the company and they no longer use the company as an excuse or as an enemy in the sales tools. The company is who they face. They face forward for the company, not forward for the customer, whilst they have the customer's best interests always at heart. Well, I think that's very perceptive. Mm. Um, That's probably why he was the group managing director. (laughs) Very (laughs) much so. And and on the board, et cetera. (laughs) The the thing that it led me to think about, Adrian, was... Um, I was coming from that company perspective and then I started to think about the individual and I started to think, why put them in a role where they will struggle or where their values can't be realised or their motivators not satisfied? Mm. And I found a a more holistic way of looking at it by saying, is this role going to bring out the best in you? Because there's a win-win 
the best in you is going to be a great the result best, for the company. Best for the company. And, and it's going to be great for you as well. And in that uh, project, um, we were asked to develop a, a super unit of professional consultants and salespeople. And so we did that. And uh, over a period of a few years, um, put together a team of uh, 83 really good top flight salespeople. Yeah, and cool. I noticed that their behaviours, and I'll, I'll tell a, a, a little bit of a story to close the loop on this in a moment, but we had to ingrain in those people the habits uh, of salespeople. We looked at what we call the cash formula. Do they have the K, the knowledge? Uh, how can we help them develop the attitudes, um, further evolve their skills and turn them into habits? So that made me think about my university training in behavioural psychology and it made me, uh, and, and you'll have a laugh here because my, the work that I did in university led me to um, projects and work in dealing with emotionally disturbed children. So oh, I was okay. a natural fit for salespeople. Surprised uh, we didn't meet when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> I turned down the bail request. Uh, oh, sorry, okay. Uh, Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but in, in that circumstance, um, having had a look at uh, knowledge, attitudes, skills and habits and, and how those habits are shaped, I started to delve a little bit more back into the psychology, some of the research at the time. And, uh, and anyway, we developed this uh, super group of salespeople and I was headhunted by the opposition because uh, I was good at recruiting and selecting people and having them stay. Yeah, and, right. So making them stick as well. Or, or yes. not making them stick, creating a culture that they could stick in. That's correct. And mm. the company at that time, every 10 people that were being put on, 12 months later, only one survived. And imagine the cost in that. Oh, yeah. And the disruption um, to business and everything else. And possibly you'd just become a training space. That's correct. And mm. five years later, if you added up all those ones who were there at 12 months, only two of them survived as well. So there was enormous turnover. And it was in part to do with poor selection not really having adequate training, yeah. etc. And uh, when I went, I was headhunted and went to the other organisation, they put me through a battery of psychological tests for a day because they were paying really big money at that time to move me across, high six-figure fee, right. just as a, as a sign-on. Yes. Um, and the interesting thing about that was I was fascinated by all of these tests and when second day or third day I was at work, the boss arrived and he brought in this hi-fi sound system. And I said, what's that for? He said, that's for you. I said, why? He said, the psychologist said you will work really well in an environment that has music around you, um, particularly classical wow. music of a particular type. I thought, well, that's fascinating. Um, and he stuck it on and he said, yeah. I've, I've loaded in all this classical crap for you, as he called it. And it was great. I was working this environment with music and I was getting things done. And um, as part of that, the team that I was in grew and became very successful and they were a poorly performing team. They were yeah. number 298 out of 300 and then they closed uh, units 300 and 299. 
And I had to make the team um, productive and effective. And and we did. And a lot of that was to do with selecting the right people, keeping the wrong ones out. And the company trained me in, took me away for two or three weeks and trained me intensely in Myers-Briggs. Yep, which is the Myers-Briggs profile, which... That's um, correct. Yeah, most people have heard of that. That's probably the the granddaddy, is it, of profile? No, uh, well, uh, not not really, but it's the one that's got the most publicity. Right. Um, I found it deficient because at that time it had a bias against women. Oh, okay. Well, it was probably um, very much a man's world and business as well. Yes. Um, the problem was two-thirds of my team were women that I'd recruited and they were highly productive. Yeah, right. And I remember another boss walking in and said, why have you got all these women on board? And he was very sexist. Yeah. And I said to him, John, because they are bloody fantastic at the job and we've used all the profiling to select them. And he went, oh, that profiling crap, you know. And he, yeah. he, he wasn't a, a good guy to deal with and later committed suicide. That's um, sad, but yeah, it's yeah. it's interesting that whole male female thing in the in the roles as well, because there would have been such an old guard. Yes, that and, oh. and to this day, I know people that it still exists with. Um, that I've got a friend who's got a, a business where um, people come in, the public come in, and a lot of the older men won't deal with the woman at the front desk. That's correct. I just don't um, really like, I thought we were past that, you know, but no. Well, that's what I said at that time. And I was brought up by two women, my mother and my grandmother. So yeah. I was very feminist in my thinking. Yeah. My mum was uh, very strident in that regard, very uh, women's right and had been around some of Australia's top uh, suffragettes and yep. uh, people like Voda Gold- Goldenstein and uh, wow. you know, yeah. other people. So it would have been a good runway for you. That would have been a good runway to actually um, appreciate the the differences as well, as as well as the strengths. Yes. So I argued the point and uh, another senior manager and the um, acting CEO of the company said, well, if if you really want to pursue this idea, um, why don't we get you to look at how to assess people? Because I was coming back to them about the assessment said this and the assessment said that or the profile. So they sent me to America to look at all the type of assessments and profiling. I'd been accredited in Myers-Briggs and 16PF and all this type of stuff. And they said, you've got something going here. Um, They could see it's working. Yeah. But what else is out there? Dig deep. And they gave me a budget, and you're talking early 90s, of $50,000 to buy assessments and try them out because they were getting incredible results out of -hmm. of the team. And uh, I didn't go straight away. I worked on a project with an international group of professional peers to look at recruiting and assessing people. And I was selected as one of 30 from around the world to go to San Francisco and uh, to spend several weeks there finalising this project and we were all going to be, you know, ranked and awarded for how we did. Yeah, right, cool. They had a huge conference at the Moscone Conference Centre in San Francisco and Uh it was amazing because a lot of it was underground. And I went around to every profile supplier who was there for the industry, you know, and looked at 
profiles or assessments for call reluctance, for productivity, SPQ gold. And I spent several weeks doing that and working on this project. Yep. And when the project was finished, uh, hey-ho, they announced the best assessor and developer of people in the world. And I kept looking around thinking, I wonder who that'll be. Um, I reckon that guy from New York is, you know, he's really polished. He looks really good and he knows his stuff. And he'd come out with this very impressive statement that was people change. His name was Claire Stroman. People change, but seldom. I thought, oh, that's a pretty interesting point of view. People change, but seldom. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So a a leopard never changes its spots kind of thing. Yeah, so I had lunch with him and had a chat about that and, you know, waiting for the results. And hey-ho, the results came out for the best project, the best recruiting and developing of people. Yeah, and cool. my self-image wasn't good enough because it was me. Huh. And um, uh, to such an extent, and this made me think about assessing people, that I wouldn't go to the presentation because I kept thinking, oh, I'm just this kid from a single-parent family, you know, I'm not like all these guys, and they're coming to me saying, oh, can you come up to uh, Seattle and uh, down to Boca and Florida? And I'm going, this isn't right. Yeah, and that, wow. was a, that was a bad thing for me, but it was a really good thing because it made me think, why am I rejecting this? So I did a lot of introspection, and I went back and assessed me through all of those assessments. Yeah, cool. And I, I, I put a lot of thinking into that, and then... I started to. Uh, so you got after doing all these. Go just run. Go back a bit. So after doing all these tests yourself, obviously, and looking at all these tests, and then compiling how you'd use them for culture, in companies and to in recruitment and to maintain you know better business, then you ended up being the expert yourself. Um, but were, didn't hadn't gained probably quite the self awareness to realise where you were at in that picture. Absolutely spot on. Um, I think it was a case of knowing and doing in my job, but not doing yes. in my personal world. Yes, yeah. Like it, it's like the accountant who um, you know doesn't look after their own accounts or the whatever. It doesn't mean that you didn't have the ability or the um, just you weren't necessarily practicing or, or seeing yourself in it. And I, I think That's a lot correct. of people struggle with seeing their own strengths and their own weaknesses and I don't like the word weaknesses particularly, but their own, you know, where they where they can improve and where they are currently and how to how to really strengthen something or to yeah. dial one up and dial one down so that there's a there's a harmony in them. You know, like Yeah, and a, a little later on, about uh, ten or fifteen years later, I uh, came across a thing called appreciative inquiry, which made me think about that. Yeah. Even more because it looks at your strengths, your op- uh, opportunities, your aspirations, and the results that you want in life. Mm. And out of that, I I did a lot of deep thinking, and the organisation was changing, and I left, and I, I bought into uh, an organisation that was a training and development franchise group, and yeah, okay. um, worked with them, and that w- that was really good, but. Again, it made me think about how people operate because I bought into one franchise system and they cancelled it six weeks after I (laughs) paid all the money. Um, But we argued about it and they allowed me to have a second franchise opportunity at the same cost. Okay. But what made me 
thoughtful about that was we did needs analyses on our clients, but it was amazing how it always led to the same product. And I kept thinking... <laughs> That's a good needs analysis when you've got a product for sale. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, <laughs> hey, um, these people have got a sales need. Why are we giving them leadership training? Yeah. You know, or whatever the case may be. Because we've taught them how to think that that's going to fulfill their sales that, need. That's correct. So that yeah. made me think about things as well. I ended up leaving that group and starting my own business. Yeah. And I got connected with... Um, and a, a guy who I'd met a few years before when he was just kicking off, I met him at the Australian Mineral Foundation in Adelaide, and I think there were about 10 or 15 people who turned up to his presentation. And that was a guy called Brian Tracy. And oh, Brian's yeah, right. well-known internationally. And um, He's a good friend of another friend of mine, um, Alan Pease. Yes. Alan, yes. And, and, Alan uh, and um Brian go back a long way, yeah. Well, uh, Brian made some interesting points and uh, I thought about those, tucked them away and then uh, through a connection, not directly with Brian, but through a connection of mine who was connected with a guy called Ib Muller. Ib actually ran Brian's business because he put some seed funding into Brian's launching yep. himself in training and development. Yep. And Ib was a business person who uh, had the equivalent to the Royal Automobile um contract for America and all the tow yes. trucks. He had yes. wineries, he had shopping centres. Wow. And he said, look, I'd, I'd like to select people using understanding their behaviour. And he reintroduced me to DISC and I started to buy DISC profiling out of Vancouver from IB. And so maybe, on- maybe just for people listening, because we've said Myers-Briggs and now we're saying DISC, Maybe um, just a little bit of runway on these profiling. So, like okay. disc, disc. Sure. Maybe just get just so that people catch up to the thinking. Um, I know it, so you could tell it. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, Myers Briggs is more about personality. Disc is called a personality assessment or profile, but it's not. It's about behaviour. It's about mm. behaviour and communication, and. Um, it can be quite predictive of somebody's behaviour uh, when they're relaxed or when they're under stress. And from that point of view, it's really good. And the guy who developed it, as we were talking about earlier uh, off air, Adrian, um, he developed three other, two other things that are really important in life. He developed, his name was Bill Marston, and he developed the lie detector. Yep, and, the polygraph machine, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. And in his spare time, because he had a complicated... Oh, you can't let the cat out of the bag yet on that one. He had a, <laughs> I'll just say he had a complicated personal life. And, um, and, and, a, and, a, and he wrote a comic book. That's right. He wrote a book <laughs> and a comic book um, called Wonder Woman, which is that's very it. popular today. Um, and that caused him, he was controversial because the censors didn't like that Wonder Woman tied people up in a lasso and beat them up. They said it was all yeah. M and So it was a bit controversial well, at the time. I, I'm going to segue quickly to, um, if, if anybody is interested in this, um, and what the power of profiling is, is they made a movie in um, about 2017 called Professor Marsden and the Wonder Woman. And in it, you get to see what he did with disc. You got to see. You get to see what he did with his personal life, um, and you also get to see the story of Wonder Woman and where it came from. And he wrote. He was 1941, I think, was when he yeah 
was was Wonder Woman's start. And you think of the power of that story and the power of that behaviour and go backwards to 1941, which is around the war years, pre-war. Yeah. And this, or pre-Second World War, this is fascinating when you think of what how the world was run in those days. It was still very male, but there was women you know, were breaking into the male structures. And yeah, he he took all this and he was a psychologist, professor yeah. of psychology, yeah. um, and worked out some fascinating human behavior things. That's um, correct. Yeah, just, I love that. And later on, um, a person who'd worked with the great, German psychologist uh, Carl Jung yep. um, got involved in the DISC profiling as well because there were some crossovers there. Um, that allowed me to think at a, a different level in terms of we were using that for executive development and some training and some coaching scenarios. And that evolved into going, well, behaviour only tells part of the story. Yeah, that's the that's the big trick, isn't it? Like, you know, you've got two parts of stories there that need to come together, yeah. at least two parts. There's more than that even. So this was about how people behaved and communicated. Yep. I more and more was confronted with the idea of why do they behave? So that led to a Tarzan swinging, swinging between yeah. the trees that, exactly. on the milk it was all, run. all coming yeah. back. Why um, did they do it? Not why did yeah. they do it? Yeah. So once I worked in that area, I looked at the work of um, incredible psychologists in that field, being a guy called Edward Spranger, who was at Harvard and Yale, and also uh, Gordon Allport, um, who was the founder of the American Psychological society and we'll come back to that in a moment yeah so in working and helping um the australian distributor of brian tracy develop things i got to know ib in canada and helped him uh look at some potential distributors people who'd come out of major multinationals etc um broke away from them because there were other ideas and other assessments that were necessary i thought but they yep. were still a bit contained by that and i started to work with a great organization called tti um, and they really looked at assessments in a very interesting way their um, founder had looked at truck drivers and why truck drivers would have accidents or their loads would break etc and he put disc yeah, and values in on 1100 truck drivers and he found that the ones who arrived on time with less breakage had a behavioural pattern, and then they recruited truck drivers. For that behavioural pattern. pattern. I, I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. And he also looked at values uh, or motivators, and I thought that was great. And in working with that organisation, um, I then started to understand things, and about 20 years ago, they flew a guy out to Australia who had put a, an, another part into the assessment or the profile, and that was um, how people make decisions and um, what skills and talents they have. So all of a sudden, the triple treat was there. Yeah. We had how through the behavioural mm -hmm. profiling of DISC. We had uh, why through the 
motivators and values profile. And all of a sudden we had what? What raw skills and how do people make decisions? And I liked that combination of what, why, and how rather than just how. Gave you a big broad view of the um, yep. of, of of people. Yeah. That's right. And I started to get a little more dismissive of the disc profiles because no two disc profiles were the same. Yeah. Um, the disc was never copyrighted. So you had this person's view of it, that person's view of yeah, it. Yeah, this was another thing that Marsden never did. He never copy he never copyrighted or um, patented anything that he did. That's correct. It, it just became public property. And then with disc, people made versions of how they saw the world of disc. And so to get back to, um, I suppose, the purity of it or the, the, yeah, the, or what, it, what, not necessarily the purity, the, the most powerful version of it is how do you find the most powerful piece? That's correct. And I found a lot of amateur disc profiles would refer, refer to you as a single part of disc. You're a D, you're dominant. You're yes, D. as opposed to an I or as opposed to... An yeah. S or C. That, they completely neglect that. And I kept thinking they're being too one-dimensional. In yeah. This. Um, yeah, and, and so then a part, they would be able to identify a part of somebody's behaviour, but not necessarily all the pieces that would make the person they are. That's very spot on, Adrian. And what I found too was they they hadn't been trained properly because I remember I did a lot of mystery shopping yes. as well as having looked at the assessments overseas, several hundred of them. I mystery shopped around Australia, people who were providing different assessments and profiling. And I found in the main that most of them were fairly superficial in their understanding mm. of it. And mm. cause I'd say, you know, who am I? And yep. they would tell me, probably the wrong thing. They wouldn't include my values. Oh, you're a D, you're into power, you're dominant, you're assertive. But one of my prime values is altruistic, to remove conflict um, yeah. and theoretical, to understand. And um, most people didn't find me that way, nor did I. And I thought, well, you're missing the values element of it. Yeah, well, so, if they employed you for a, for a position or if they were to have you to do something, then they would be seeing you as one-dimensional. Exactly, exactly. Mm. And I actually saw uh, an awful case of a poorly trained disc consultant uh, in a financial services company say to here in Melbourne, um, say to the organisation, your salespeople aren't getting the results you want uh, because you haven't got enough D in them. Uh, you need to get yeah, rid of right. them. And they sacked yeah. seven of them. And... They replaced them with, you know, D people, as they would call it, yep. dominant people, because, you know, we need super closers and all this type of stuff. Yeah. And sales went down 74% in four months. <laughs> and they called me in and said, what do you reckon? And I said... Maybe a few less D. <laughs> let, let, let's have a look at your customer base and find out how they like to communicate. So we did that with your top 20 customers, and they were all in disc terms, S and C. You know, they were stabilising, very cautious. So they, their customer base was stabilising and cautious, yes. but they sent along a hammer to hit those people. Oh, exactly. And Smash get a them sale. Yeah. That's right. And that's why sales went down. They said, uh, uh, and I loved it, oh, we, we really don't have a lot of money. We spent it on these other consultants. And I said, well, you need to get real. It's costing you. Yeah. Anyway, they paid me and I got four of the seven back. 
And one of those four then proceeded, because he was maxed more correctly with the customers, to get the biggest contract in their company's history. Right. Because we matched him with the clients. And that's very much what good behavioural assessments and profiling is about. Matching the communication style and the motivational style of the party's concern, whether it be supplier and customer or a business with its internal customers, its staff, getting alignment there. So does the biggest value there come? Obviously, there's a massive value in knowing, understanding yourself. And then the other value is because you can't necessarily go out and um, ask all your potential clients um, or your current clients to, you know, just do this profile for me so I can see how you're better suited. But awareness of being able to read a little bit of people so that they um, a in the sales process, but all, because that's going to be the first process they touch them in. Um, but that's b correct. in the um, once they become a client, in the client process, recognizing those values and how you may be different from them, but then how to best work with those values. Because you don't also want to work with everybody who wags their tail the same way as you do. That's right, although there are synergies in that. Yes. So that's probably a first level. And um, so we did a lot of training with their consultants on behaviour, communication, values uh, and other things, and they had enormous success. And, Adrian, you'd be surprised, and uh, you as the listener uh, might be surprised also um, here in that some organisations do invest in that. I, I've got an organisation that placed an order with us for 1,600 assessments so they could get the correct match in behaviour, communication. Um, and they, they did that with their internal or external? like uh, Both. Both. So it's a really interesting thing that, isn't it? Because the value would be that, if they know their top 20% of clients are these type of people, if they have these general traits, then all of a sudden all their communication and all the expectation setting can be set realistically for those people and their marketing can be drawn around how to attract those people mostly. So if somebody was, uh, say, an architect, we have a lot of... um, architects who listen in on the show um, and interior designers. Yeah. And so we have a large portion of those and we interview a fair few of those as well. Um, If they were to a understand themselves then, and their style, then they would be able to match that with good insight. I'm I'm making this up as I go, so please correct me. Um, They should be able to match that with good insight of the marketplace so that they have a authentic communication strategy that an attraction strategy with attracting the right kind of client to themselves and also being able to then meet that client's needs, not in a design sense, but in a communication and support sense, um, and then the design sense. Mm. I've got a client, he's got a master's in architecture, and he did his master's in Scandinavia, and he designed buildings for maximum lighting 
Yeah, right. Um, cool. Because lighting affected the mood of people over there. Especially when, when they have long winters. and That's yeah. correct. Yeah. And uh, when he became accredited, he looked at the disc, the values, but most particularly how people think and make decisions. And uh, as an architect, he uses that and supervises uh, 80 or 90 people that he uh, looks after in the firm that he's yeah, in. Yeah, right. And um, that's, uh, that's quite fascinating to see why he got accredited in that. But it, I find it fascinating that... Um you can be so deliberate if you understand your own strengths and you understand your own style and behaviors that you can go, okay, well, this is more of these, this group here is going to be the ones I'm going to deal with. Not necessarily easiest, but best. Yes. And this is what they'll need um, from me. And then if you can take the next step of that to, I can make that my brand and marketing strategy. Um, and then that will attract those people because they will see themselves enough that they'll be attracted to it. You know, that, that's the effect of the mirror maybe. I don't know. Yeah, if you can identify what you do best and fulfil it at work, you, you, you produce fantastic results. And mm, Absolutely. And the, 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 whilst you may be the winner of that, the client is the winner of that. Absolutely. I'm always the winner of that. It's yeah. like I always love when I'm going to buy something and I have the you know amazing salesperson and I can see their process and I'm in their process and I know what's coming next, but I'm waiting for it with anticipation because I want to see how well they deliver it to me. And along the way, I would I would nine times out of ten, unless they blow up for some crazy reason. I would always buy from that person and possibly exactly. pay more even. Exactly. Because um, of their process. And, I, and I'm, I see their process and I love it because it's not a something, that, again, there's authenticity. They're not hiding it. They're not trying well, to sell me something that um, they've identified me, they've identified what my, my needs are, they've identified um, how we can work together. They've identified how it will solve my problems or, you know, fulfill my needs. Very astute observations, Adrian. Mm, and, um, I love that side of it. I, I, I think, too, um, what really brought it all together for me was when I met this guy 20 years ago and he did an assessment that included DISC and values and motivators but something on my thinking and decision-making and it got so unnerving that I, how accurate he was, that <laughs> um, I actually accused the guy he'd brought him to Australia of telling him some very private stuff about me. Right. And he said, no, he's just got off the plane. He's only been here for two hours. There's, I haven't actually had a chance to talk with him. He doesn't know stuff about you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so he does because you did your profile. Well, I confronted him and he said, and this was the most fascinating thing about profiling and assessing people, particularly assessing them. He said, Russ, no, he did not tell me. You told me through the assessment what yeah. was going on. And I went, so what he told me was I was considering leaving my job, that I probably had someone in my family who um, uh, was very, very ill. And later that day, I actually got a call. I was in Sydney and my late wife was admitted to hospital. Wow. And um, 
I had to uh, manage the business and look after my uh, very young daughter at that time as well. And the number of things he told me, and I was absolutely fascinated by that. He got this by you filling out a form. Absolutely. And I thought, that's ridiculous. Um, So I really, I got accredited in that particular assessment and asked lots of annoying questions and really deep dived into it. And this was the pastor resistance of, um, do you like my French there? Because I know yeah, it was beautifully, beautifully, <laughs> beautifully uh, pronounced. I'm, thank you. I'm sure you'd have got a croissant and a coffee when you said that. <laughs> thank you. Uh, but I, I wanted to understand how he could do that. And this particular assessment was developed by a guy called Robert Hartman. Mm-hmm. And he was nominated for a Nobel Prize for his work in this area and in help bringing together the 401k pension scheme in the United States. Um, And what I liked about it was how accurate it was. And what I liked about how accurate it was, was it was the only assessment that I'd seen in the last 20 years that was directly linked to high-level mathematics and science. So it was very objective, very strong science. And it took Dr. Hartman... He, he wanted to discover what was good in people without the morality of politics or religion in that, what was yeah, good right. uh, in people. And so he was answering a philosophical question. He had three PhDs, one in philosophy, one in law, and one in mathematics. So he had a very unique way of thinking. And he was very good mates with Abraham Maslow. They co-owned right. a villa on the um, coast of uh, Mexico. And um, he has a, a very fascinating and interesting uh, story, um, which if we have time, I'll recount that. Mm. But what, what this assessment did was identify what was good in people and looked at the way they think and make decisions. And what Hartman established was he, he spent six philosophical questions, what is good, which was started you know, with Plato and Socrates and Aristotle and back in that era, And he was able to do it objectively and then prove it. He spent another 26 years of his life turning this philosophical conclusion into an empirical science. And there is no other assessment in the world that is linked to an empirical science. And because of that, it is incredibly accurate and deeply incisive, such that it disturbed me, but in a good way. Um, I then got a crit credited in that and I've worked in that area for the last 20 odd years Adrian sorry you were about to say no I was going to say and and that because it disturbed you in a good way is actually what got you to really dig into what it was and having you know as you say like that time doing it um the 20 years of doing it also and being able to what is it 10,000 10,000 hours to become a um expert and as every expert knows, you're never an expert. You're only on the journey. That's correct. Um, the first 10,000 hours is when, as you're learning. And then from there on in, you actually get to really start to polish and hone and yeah. create something. A, what would people do to access this? And then B, um, how would they best use being profiled um, either in, for themselves well, or in I- their teams? Yeah, I prefer the approach being assessed. Oh, sorry, yes. And I think that's a really good point as well because we were talking about this earlier. Um, A lot of people carry a bit of fear around 
being profiled um, or assessed. And there's reasons why people carry fear around that as to their own self-image, whether they're good enough or whether they're going to find out something, the deep, dark secrets are going to be, um, you know, unearthed or whatever. So just tell me that bit around, you know, why you'd prefer to call it assessing and well, how people can travel through assessment. You know, I've done my, my anametrics profile twice um, and quite different in both times. When I say quite different, the main pieces are the main pieces, but um, three years gap. Um, makes quite a difference. I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. When people think of profiles, it's, it tends to be a static thing. Yeah. You are this or that, we've categorised you. An assessment is taking a view of where you are now, and it might be from where you are now to where you were three years ago in your case. Yes. So it's far more dynamic. That snapshot um, is really fascinating because I can look back at my old one and look at my new one and I can go, okay, well, the awareness that I got from my old one actually got me to parts of where I am in my new one. That's correct. Those shifts. Things change dramatically. Yeah. The effect of COVID around the world on how people think and make decisions, what they value and how they choose to behave and communicate is incredible. And also just think of how the... Uh, it will have a huge lasting effect, COVID, the COVID, you know, society or this moment in time, but also how we've taught people to work remotely um, or not taught them to. We threw them in the deep end because of no choice and it became the choice and then they had to learn to cope with it, massive stress, um, maintain high outcomes, more massive stress, in a, in a new environment, their living room or their, if they were lucky enough to have an office. Um, then just to add to that pressure, if they had kids, we thought we'd leave them at home with them as well, make sure they got their schooling done whilst they were trying to earn a living, still maintaining a job that uh, the company was uncertain about whether would exist or not exist. Absolutely. Um, just huge, huge stress for, even for those who just float through things, still huge uncertainty. Well, I, I, I think all of those things, you used the word authenticity before, mm. and um, two things allowed me to understand. Auth- so, Adrian, the thing that I was um, alluding to there was when we um, assess someone, yep. if you're looking at it from an analytical point of view, you can draw certain conclusions. What I did to verify the accuracy of these assessments was I ended up having debriefing conversations with people and testing how accurate or how, how a- accurately they saw themselves in the report. So I've done about three and a half thousand individual debriefings of a couple of hours each. And that gives you deep insights to whether people are in denial about things how they're using it, whether their thinking, their values and their behaviours and communication are integrated. So that really helped helped me. Um, And I've done it in relation to not just personal or professional development, but business needs. Like Mm -hmm. the reports can tell us a lot about whether somebody needs an improved business design or whether they've got cash flow challenges or how they would deal with that, employee turnover staff morale, um, having a need to get better staff buy-in. 
And mm-hmm. so we've expanded out into those areas to see what trust is like, what's communication like, what the thinking and decision-making is in the core individual. And I'll give you an example of that. I've got a husband and wife team in New South Wales who run a business. It's about a $20, $25 million business. And the husband has been trying to plan the development of the business for over a year, nearly a year and a half. The fact is his decision-making around planning is very low. He has low clarity in that area. He has a low focus in that area. He has low activity in that area. And that is paying low attention to it because of those things. We can see that in his assessment. His wife, on the other hand, has got high clarity, uh, massive scoring in those areas. So what we so she just needs is, to tell him what to do again? <laughs> so w- what happened was, you know, he's got very low clarity, focus, attention and activity in planning, but he wants to be a planner. Um, she has really high level focus and clarity and attention here. And he said, I want to be a better planner. I said, don't play to your strengths, be authentic to who you are. And he said, what about the planning? I said, let her do it. Now she's been doing it over the past two months and she's absolutely brilliant by his admission, by hers, because she's giving him a bit of a stick about it. And they both be in their flow. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So, Having done that debriefing and being able to pull out of him that he wanted to be something he wasn't and being able to say to him, hey, don't, play to your strengths. So we surveyed um, nearly 200,000 people through the assessments and we looked at what made them effective and productive. We thought it might be a behavioural trait, we thought it might be a particular value or we thought it might be a thinking style and it wasn't any of those things. Yeah, okay. we found, uh, we thought there would be four levels of performance, below average, uh, average, above average, and excellent. And yep. we actually found a fifth level of performance above excellence. That's what and, uh, my friend Bruce Campbell would call a seven-footer. That's right. And we call it the genius level of performance when, you know, you you could use that term that you used before of um, Mikhail Chismit-Mahali's of flop. Um, But in doing that, we found people who performed at the excellent level and at the flow level or the genius level only had two things in common. And this is the trap of a lot of assessments. They think this will predict success. It might be a contributor, but the thing that contributes most to high-level performance is really good self-awareness, refined self-awareness. You know what you're good at. You know what you're bad at. Mm. you're aware of those things and you accept them. You know them, you accept them. And then then you hone them. That's correct. You create the new self. So refined self-awareness is vital. Um, And we see a lot in Australia where, you know, you see people who are tired or who are unwell and you go, are you okay, mate? Oh, yeah, I'm fine. She'll be right. And they're in complete denial about the fact that they're fatigued or sick or whatever else. Um, whereas a high performer will say, I'm not on my game. I need to go and sleep for 10 hours. Okay, yep. go and do that. Whatever it is, or I need to go to the gym and work this out, or I need mm-hmm. to, whatever. Exactly. And that's part of, pro- of the assessment is, is knowing what people need from from to, to, to nurture them or to 
basically make them as high performing as they can be. That's exactly correct. And oh. we're able to identify what the exact stress relievers are for an individual, whether it's sleep, whether it's interaction with others, whether it's solitude, yeah. um, to think things through, uh, whether it's uh, assertive and aggressive comp yeah. competition or sport, those type of things. And what that's done is the first thing was authenticity. Uh, sorry, the um, first thing was self-awareness. The second mm -hmm. thing was being authentic to who you are, playing to your strengths. Yep. And another major organisation assessed how often people were playing to their strengths. And at a maximum around the world, amongst hundreds of thousands of workers, for most this is going to be a low figure. <laughs> it's, it's once a week. Now, imagine if you can get people being aware of what their strengths are and deploying them once a day. There's going to be a five times Increase. more injection of uh, strength and uh, positive outcomes. I see a lot of small business people who um, are, are trying to do everything, which isn't unusual because they you know, won't be necessarily have the cash flow to not do everything and themselves. And so what happens is, is they become, let's say, semi-proficient at uh, a task um, and they spend a lot, a lot of energy. They burn a lot of calories, mental calories, getting semi-proficient at something. And then they um, don't have the energy to put into what their genius is. And That's so correct. They, 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 they pull their level down on everything because they're trying to raise a level of something that they're never going to do. You know, when they're... You and I are never going to run as fast as Usain Bolt. I don't care how much we train. That's never going to happen. And, you know... If well, Usain's got a natural talent. He tried 100%. to adapt that to, to soccer up on the central yep. coast there. Um, he did okay, but not good enough. This is the thing. It's Yeah, it's that thing where they have these amazing... They, they get clarity in what they're good at and... Away, away they go, you know, like a, it, whenever you see somebody who is really successful at what they're doing, they have found how to do the piece that they do really well and they've surrounded themselves with the, enough infrastructure systems and people to take up the rest of it, to be there, there to have their back on the rest of it. Well, inevitably in business, if we want to be successful, we're going to use OPM, other people's money, the banks, yep. and OPE, other people's experience, to help guide us. Right. Most people put a yoke on their back, particularly you talked about cash flow, because they choose to fund the development of their business through cash flow rather than raising capital. That comes back to maybe not having a good enough business plan that they can sell or promote to someone else to say, can you help me with your experience and your money grow this business? Um, and right. I, I see so many people going into business thinking I want freedom, but creating slavery because they're working 90 hours a week and they never quite get the cash flow right because um, their model of developing the business is so self-reliant and like you said, they can't be everything to everybody and it causes all sorts of health, relationship and financial issues. 
So that's why the assessment of how they make decisions um, is really, really important. And I had one guy, John, he's a client of mine in Mount Waverley. He said, I want to be a really good uh, manager. And I said, don't. You're a great leader and you're great with customers. Why don't you just employ a really good manager? He said, I can't afford it. I said, you just bought a piece of equipment that you use maybe once a week for $900,000. Why couldn't you invest $150,000 into a really good manager? He did that. And the business went from an $8 million turnover to a $42 million turnover in six years. Well, that was healthy. Yes. <laughs> and There's a bit of when, advice. <laughs> when, when we assessed him and the manager, we simply got them to say, Andrew, you need to concentrate on this. John, you need to stay away from that. And oh, absolutely. Did, like having clear tasks and clear understanding. Oh, his customers loved him. And he was so persuasive, he got $1.8 million of incredible machinery sent at the supplier's cost from Germany to Australia with no payments due for two years so that he could develop a market for that. He got it on consignment. He's brilliant at that. That's other people's money. That's correct. Other people's experience was uh, Andrew coming in and managing the business. So the assessment told us that. Here's the skills gap that Andrew will uh, close for you because he's got these skills. You're not a good manager. You're a good communicator, good salesperson, great customer service. John, go and do that. Andrew, you're going to do systems. You're going to do uh, invoicing. You're going to do staffing. You're going to do staff reviews. You're going to do training. That business sung. The assessment told us that. It told us what John was great at what John was crap at and what Andrew was really, really good at. Um, so, and yeah, wow, great. what a great outcome. Well, yeah, look, and I look at it and I go, um, there's so many creatives that obviously listen to shows like this one. And I go, so if they were to get a bit more clarity around that, I think creative people often um, have the ability to get proficient at many things, um, and I want to say jack of all trades as such, but just in, in business, being very aware of what the roles are that you have to have, and then if you've got your own business, what leadership's about as well, because that's not just turning up and managing, that's actually choosing the direction and everything, and having some insights or deep insights to that, and then some sort of action plan and mentoring um, to just step you through that from a business point of view and from your customer's point of view and for your um, own you know, family, health, everything else, because the reduced stress on your own health alone um, makes a massive difference. The advanced insights assessment, which we've been talking around in a sense, is really an operations manual for you. Yeah. Where do you know, if, if you're a machine, where do you need to put the oil? Or the petrol. Yes. You've got a great vehicle. Are you have you got a good roadmap? Are you putting enough fuel in the right place? Are you yep. lubricating the gear? Are your tires okay? Is, yeah. 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 Um, and I think Adrian, that's the thing that I love about this. When people get that, uh, whether it's leadership, coaching report, management, customer service, sales, whatever, um, 
they're able to zero in on things that they may have felt but not being able to articulate or identify. And it now identifies it and measures it. So you can do something about that. Um, and we do it with our, with our team and obviously my absolutely. wife does it. Yeah, and getting just a look at, at your team members and, and them to have a look at themselves um, and being able to go, oh, wow, that, that makes sense then. That's why that irritates the crap out of me that you do that, Adrian. Um, and for me to go, you know what, I know that irritates the crap out of you. I'll try and I'll, I'll work on shifting that so that I'm better at, at um, communicating or behaving so that it matches you better. And that's how, as a team, we all suddenly start to create synergy. Well, it's interesting with such a lot of change going on in the world that if you look at the transitions of change, when people have to let go, move into a neutral zone and then a new beginning, human beings behave in a very predictable way, but they don't like to think so. Yeah. When we all change, want to be individuals at some point. That's right. The first response is shock. The yeah. second response is denial. Um, and there are emotions with that. And we can see what they are with some assessments. Here in Melbourne, we may have to go into hard lockdown again. Last night, I went to the supermarket. People had masks on because we've had COVID happen. We've had COVID go to a major event. It yeah. could be a super spreader thing. But you can see people, I'm not bloody wearing a mask. And you go, hold on. Um, what do you want? And I yeah. think that's the other thing that these assessments help with. It looks at what do you really want? And where does that meet reality? And this is and just that's a really good point as well. You know, like where does that meet reality? And what's the time frame you want it in? Um, how do you how do you propose to make a plan? What are the steps that are going to be in it? Um, or is it just wishful thinking? Um, because well, then you, yeah, those things exemplify in real business cases. I, I work with a number of uh, building companies around Australia. The government, 12, 15 months ago, introduced massive grants yeah. into the and incentives for people to build new homes. Now, just think about that for a moment in a business sense. Everybody took that up, 40 or 50,000. There was a huge demand mm -hmm. on getting houses sold. And what's the natural consequence of that across the industry? How's that going to affect supply? <laughs> well, it did affect supply because supply ran out. There were hey. more homes sold. People thought they might get, you know, double or maybe even triple the amount of homes sold. Yes. I'm dealing with many, many builders around the country. They're not getting one or two times the business. They're getting 10, 15, 20 yeah. times the business. But this, isn't just, um, this isn't just happening in Australia. This is actually happening in most of the developed world countries. England, yeah. the same is happening. America, the same is happening. Um, it, it's it, so the, they, the, the, the lockdown had an effect on people that other people, that, that industry probably never recognised and the government never recognised. They said, we'll pump the money in to stimulate. But the other effect that it had is people said, you know what, if we're going to be locked in this house, then we're going to do these things to it that we want to do or we're going to shift from this house to that house because that's, I would rather be there. And if this yeah. is what my life's going to be like, so we've had a real estate boom, we've had a, a building boom, a design boom, a short a, a shortage of materials boom, a shortage of labour boom. You've and 
managers who um, have never managed or, or, or leaders who have never managed more than three people suddenly having to manage 30 or, and that's the catch. That's the one because well, the that, that's the one where a lot of people are going to get burnt. The interesting thing about this, Adrian, is we knew that a lot of these companies knew this 12, 15 months ago, yeah. but they would not face the reality. So in one company, I was able to say to them, look, there's going to be a supply shortage here. You need to change your thinking. And there was some argument about that. They said, what do they mean? You're very reactive. Your approach is she'll be right. We'll deal with that thing when it comes. No, you can't afford that. I remember having arguments with builders. I'm saying, get in your cars, go and see your suppliers now and lock down an exclusive supply arrangement with them in advance. I now, have the ones who, who did that have got the materials they need and are fulfilling their yep. business requirements for their customers, getting good cash in the business. I have a builder I deal with that um, he said to me, most of my contracts with my, because he has contracts with his suppliers, most of them run back, you know, six, seven years. And he said, my payment record is great for six or seven years. Um, everything about it works. And ultimately, um, he's in the position where he's not struggling. To, he's still, some things are shortages that he can't solve, but he's not facing the same shortages or the same inconsistency of supply, partly because of his previous record and history, pays on time, you know, built contracts with these people, negotiated his rates, did all that stuff, sits at the table with them every year. Um, the, he knows they're key partners in his business. And that might be the lumber supplier. It might be the, yeah. And the interesting um, thing about that, Adrian, is um, some people said, oh, we'll just work it out. But the government said if we're giving this money, then the houses have to be built within this time frame. Yes. That caused big issues. And the human part of that decision-making was... Some people were good at getting into the details and understanding that uh, and planning. Others were poor. Shocking, so yeah. I, I asked um, a building company in New South Wales. They said, we don't know how to do that. I said, you need to go and talk to a really good management accountant. And they said, that's going to cost money. And I said, yes, but it's going to save you money. Imagine what it's going to save. Yeah, yeah, so they've, they've gone to that accountant. He text, uh, texted me yesterday and said, we've been able to fix this, this, and this. But that whole decision-making process, we had to go through with the directors of the company, and the assessment allowed us to say, look, you're going to be reluctant to change. You're going to want to go too fast. You're going to concentrate on this but miss out that. And we developed a very holistic approach to that. And the management accountant in his text yesterday said, I am so happy that this has been so well prepared and thought through. These are not people, the directors of the company, who generally get into thinking and planning. And again, it, the, uh, the key person in this was somebody whose strengths weren't being utilised in that area. She stepped in and really been sensational. So being able to assess how someone thinks and makes decisions what skills they've got, and one of her real skills is using common sense. We can measure using common sense. Huh. Yeah. Um, I had we a, can a measure I had a, honesty, you know, like yeah, right. things that no other assessment can do. And she just stepped up and said, 
to one of the other directors, you're not being honest with yourself or honest with us. And it's not that he's dishonest. He no, just no, he's not lying. How he's to just be not, honest. Yes, he's not necessarily got the clarity. Yeah. I think so, that it, it, as, a, um, as a tool that <coughs> any, everybody would benefit from knowing more um, and every business and the team in their business would benefit from any leader doing this as well as their team doing it and their team having it um, and being debriefed and seeing how they interact as a, you know as one one vehicle going in the same direction. Well, um, to to round it out, I'll give you yeah. three or four areas where that this would can be have awesome. a massive impact. And, and and tell us how people um, can you know once they if they come and do this or if they get somebody to assess them in this way. How because this is all over the world. Um, the the podcast goes out too, so how they can benefit or not benefit, how they can access. We can do that in the links and stuff to the show, but then what they, those three or four points that can make the difference for them. Okay. Just on accessibility, it's accessible worldwide through the wonderful power of the internet. So you can go on and do your assessments online. Where it has benefit is it will get, keep the wrong people out of your business, get the right people in your business and playing to their strengths. They'll be more engaged. They'll be more productive about that. It shows that they're on average between 40 and 122% more productive and effective. That's a massive impact for business. That's, that's beyond huge. Yeah. Because of that, it will also save time in supervision. It reduces absenteeism um, because people want to be working and they enjoy their work. So that's a big thing in selection and recruitment. In uh, executive decision-making, um, it's particularly helpful because it's going to look at what are the blind spots you've got in decision-making, what are the subconscious guides that might guide you without you even thinking mm -hmm. uh, consciously, and that can be bias, confirmation bias being one of the biggest biases of all. You know, I only look for what agrees with my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Oh, yeah. sorry. <laughs> it'll it'll help with diversity. <clears throat> um, I think that makes a huge difference. I'm still of a belief that a lot of the skills of women are being underutilised, and particularly women of diverse ethnic background yeah. or religious background who have been told that they don't have they come as much to contribute as a man. culture of that. Yeah. Yes, yes. I, I've got some incredible women from India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, uh, Southeast Asia, who are culturally a little bit confined, now see that they've got skills and can use them. Yeah. And so can their bosses. We're actually doing that with uh, an Indian textile manufacturer and an Indian uh, Asian uh, food supplier here in Melbourne where a number of the women have revealed talents and really made a major contribution. Yeah, how cool. It saves that? significant time on trying to do everything yourself. Um, I was one of these people who tried to do everything myself. What it revealed to me was what I should be concentrating on. And it allowed me to back a business risk of hiring a PA. At that time, I was earning 52000 bucks a year. I hired her for $37,000. 
thought, how the hell am I going to pay for this? But I had enough insight to back myself. My income went from the next year from fifty-two dollars to $220,000. Um, and that was all because she did your work for you. Well, she did the stuff that she I was She did the stuff that you couldn't about. do. Yeah. You know, I'll get to that, I'll get to that, but yeah. you, know, you never get to yeah. it. Um, so those three benefits are pretty strong. The other thing is it makes you feel better about you because you're playing to your strengths, you're aware of those things. And even if you've got some deficiencies, like I've got a client here in Melbourne and it revealed enormous tension in him and I dug in and dug in and I found out that he's massively dyslexic. He didn't know that. Yep. <clears throat> 37 years of age. Took all the pressure off him because people were giving him a hard time and now not responding to emails. He said, well, I can't read them properly. That so was, we showed him yeah. voice activators. We've selected all the um, emails. We've got him a thing called Voice Dream. It reads all his emails to him. Beautiful. <coughs> that came on looking in on what he was avoiding. It was showing us in the analysis. And so you were able to find it. Yep. It's golden. Um, we could see that tension. So there are some examples yeah. Another great example is between partners getting on the same page, whether that be business partners or life partners or life partners. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, with my late wife, um, we had very different behavioral styles and around that, different expectations. We had my wife would like me to say that we have very different behavioural styles as well. Your job is to say, <laughs> yes, darling, you're yeah, right. Exactly. You're right. You're absolutely right. It is uh, my that, fault. It says that somewhere in my profile. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yet so, to try it, but it does say it there. Well, the thing that it really revealed to me was how different our values were. We had one yes. value in common, but the rest were very different. And once I accepted that and understood it, I was... Able to, yes, Absolutely. Far Absolutely. better. And then we got to our decision-making. I was, let's do it. She was very perfectionistic. Yes. Um, <clears throat> we sat down and worked that through, and it, it changed the nature of the relationship. And I've seen that in business partnerships as well quite a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can imagine. Russ, it's fascinating, man. Um, I'm going to post the links that you're going to send me and I think that there's probably some in the future we should do a bit more on maybe a case study one. Um, I'm happy Absolutely. to do the case study. Um, and, yeah, if we did a case study one where, I'm, you know, where we reveal probably a bit more of it so people can see it in a very upfront kind of uh, manner, Um and in fact, there might be a listener who would love to be part of a case study that would uh, be fun to do. If there is, they can contact us. We'll let you know how. Um, and, yeah, just um, it's, it's so powerful and it's so empowering to actually have awareness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always say, you know, um, when I look at these things, I go, you know what? Yeah, it tells me what it is. It doesn't mean I have to do anything about it. I, I think, Adrian, you're right on the money there, and there are some fantastic case studies with very real-life results. But I just want to say uh, thanks. It's been an absolute oh, <coughs> blast to bounce fabulous. back and forth. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a tip for everybody who wants a movie to watch this weekend, 
Professor Marsden and the Wonder Woman. Um, it's got Luke Evans and um, Rebecca Hall and Bella Heath in it. Uh, fabulous movie. It will not be what you expect it to be. <laughs> yes, have an open mind. <laughs> yeah, approach it with an open mind. Um, but really good movie. And this is the guy who invented the disc profile, the polygraph, and wrote Wonder Woman and invented Wonder Woman. Um, and the movie will reveal all those aspects beautifully. That's right. I mean, the, the ideas and the experience of the people who've put into these assessments, uh, once you've settled on uh, good old Bill Marston, I mean, uh, yes. Robert Hartman's story is fascinating too. Well, that's the thing also is, is recognise that um, what Russ has been talking about here is DISC is only one little part of its assessment. Um, it's a much, much broader picture. So don't just run off and do your DISC profile because you might get a read that says you're an I or a D or a C or an S or a slight combination of those things. Um, that won't define you as a person. It will define no. a part of your personality, not you in a, as a whole. And there's the power in what Russ is telling us about. The final thing I'd like to say uh, just before we sign off is this, is you as a listener, if you're listening to this and thinking about it all, is I'll say one thing to you. You are probably a lot better than you think you are at a lot of things, and you're probably a more valuable human being than you might imagine you are. You may not be in the right place to exercise those talents and skills. However, my observation from having debriefed three and a half, four thousand of uh, these assessments one on one with people is most people underestimate the contribution they can make and the quality they have within themselves. So um, give yourself a little pat on the back every now and again, because um, you'll probably uh, have far more within you than you ever thought. That's beautiful. That is beautiful because yeah, I think that is for most people, it's just whether they're in the right, if they're the right peg in the right hole and if they're putting themselves in the right hole and what's serving them to do that. Yeah. Russ, brilliant man. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And I look forward to doing this again with you because I think there's an ongoing conversation. Absolutely. I'll find some case studies. Thank awesome, you, Adrian. buddy. Thanks heaps, man. Have a beautiful day. You too. All right. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? 
and see if they follow you, see if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.